everybody. Welcome to the Kratom Sobriety Podcast. This is episode 38. I'm Jacob, and I'm here with Decima and Charlie. Decima, how are you doing today? Hey, you guys. I'm doing really good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good wow. as well. We got the whole team here together, you know, whole band. We'll have to go on the road. We we certainly could try. <laughs> I'll be the groupie. This week, we have an interview with Sadie, who got hooked on the Kava Kratom product. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things. The last couple of weeks, we talked about California Sober, using mushrooms. And I just wanted to address this issue with some of our listeners. Let's see, some some of our recent guests like Nick or Zach are probably the type of people who would advocate for you should be clean from everything. And other people, you know, like if you remember Jan last week, he introduced drinking back into his life for he drank two beers. And that didn't mean that he kind of spiraled out of control. You know, there's different schools of thought. And, you know, we're trying to thread a needle here in this podcast where we want to encourage everybody and not be judgmental, but it's kind of a thin line between like kind of normalizing all these pathways. Some people would say like kind of the, the justification to use something like marijuana. It's kind of maybe the same justifications that you might use to justify using Kratom. So I personally think that abstinence is a completely valid path. I understand a lot of people think that you must be completely abstinent in order to claim sobriety. I personally, I don't subscribe to that path. It's not for me, but I do, I do respect it. My hat's off to those that are completely abstinent. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way. I've tried, I tried total abstinence for a long time. Didn't really work for me. Probably as close to total abstinent now as I've ever been because only on medication assisted treatment. I do have a medical marijuana card, but I have used it in almost a year now. I still have it just because why not? But I, I haven't used the product. I think it's like, it's really hard because it's really individualized. Like, and where do you draw the line with total abstinence? Is drinking coffee psychoaptive? Like, like, where do you draw the line? And then, you know, I know even some, some 12 step groups have gone as far as like, you can't take antidepressants and stuff like that. And I, I think you really have to make your own choice. I would love, I think, to to be totally abstinent just to try it, but it hasn't worked for me. And that's my eventual plan when I come off the, the medicated-assisted treatment is to give it a go, but we'll see. Our listener, Jay, kind of has a saying of, we're all an experiment of one. And she's going to come on the podcast. She actually used psychedelics successfully under kind of the supervision of some kind of support actually taper off Kratom. Now, she actually successfully tapered off Kratom, and I sort of have a theory if you can taper Kratom, you might not have a full-blown addiction. So, but anyway, this subject is funny because last week I went to edit this piece, the opening, I thought we were going to talk about vitamin C protocol for withdrawing, and then I hear as I'm editing that my two uh. degenerate <laughs> drug taking co-hosts are talking about taking drugs on my sobriety podcast. Yeah. It was all Jacob's fault. I was influenced. It was all my, it was all my fault. <laughs> we're going to talk about vitamin C, but then we were like, I, I didn't really do the protocol right. Would have been like giving you my half-hearted experience with it. Decima didn't really have any experience. So we, we were like, 
we could talk about it, but it probably wouldn't have been as informative as someone that's actually done it. But he's degenerate all the way. (laughs) I'm totally joking. (laughs) I know. I was just going to say that when it comes to abstinence, complete abstinence for me, I'm with Jacob. I feel like that is something that I would love to eventually do. And I'm probably as abstinent as I've been in years. But I have to look at the big picture. For me, it's like if I put too much pressure and too many expectations on myself and try to quit too many things at once, then I feel like I set myself up for failure. It's been a much easier process for me to take these things in steps. And now I am down to just Cali sober. I don't even drink anymore. The only thing I do is my medical marijuana. And I do feel like maybe eventually I will come off of that as well. But yeah, I just feel like it all comes down to for myself, how it affects my life if I'm still able to function or, you know, if I dependent on the substance. The line is arbitrary. You know, if I take a Advil PM once a week to sleep, is that abstinent? Or I have a kava tea from the vitamin store. The 12 steps are notorious for having smoke filled rooms, cigarette smoking, you know, so. That can really turn people away from, you know, abstinence in 12 step if they feel like they just cannot meet that criteria, you know, yeah. like they're really pushing themselves. And if, if you can't do it, I know a lot of people that don't go to 12 step meetings because they take Kratom or they take Suboxone, you know what I'm saying? And they're looked down upon. So there, there's that to consider as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we're all unique too. Like I have a, I have a friend that she, if, if she starts smoking weed, like she'll smoke an eighth a day, like will be as addicted as I've ever seen a human being get addicted to weed. I have no, like me, I, I would take two hits and wouldn't touch it for a couple of days. Now, opposite of her, she, she will drink like however much she wants and won't think about it for six months. I would have a drink tonight. I would be drinking all day, every day for God only knows how long. So it's, it's interesting how like, our brains are all kind of wired differently and how all these substances kind of act a bit differently for each of us. To thine self be true. Yeah. And for what I know for myself is I cannot, and I've tested this out over many decades is I can't have one drop of booze. It just, it, I went to one time I had, I didn't drink for 11 years and I had a headache and I took a little bit of alcohol that was in the cupboard and it started a horrible relapse. So you know, and I, I feel like Kratom is probably in that bucket, too. And I'm not going to test that theory out. For me, same. Exactly. Yeah, I feel the same way. We did get an email from a gray area Kratom user. And gray, both in, she described herself in the email as a senior citizen. But moreover, that she only uses a couple spoonfuls of Kratom a day. And has never been able to take more because... She always, it just made her sick, you know, and she has been sober, clean for over 10 years. Wanted to bring up the subject because she thought, like, you know, it kind of reminded her she went to AA meetings for a little while, like a couple decades ago. And when she heard all the horrible stories about the low bottom drunks in AA, it kind of straightened her out and she got clean and she kind of happened upon our podcast and she's having a similar experience she's like she's hearing all of us crazy people getting hooked on kratom and it's like well i don't want to have a bottom like that and maybe i'm a little bit more dependent than i thought some people i'm sure can use kratom i can't and i, I thought i could for the first that part year 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, for the first year, I probably took, you know, a couple, maybe three grams here or there every couple of days, week. Never, ever thought anything of it. And then, you know, one day I went into a shop and tried an extract. And then a week later, a pandemic hit and I was isolating and using Kratom every day. You told me the first year of usage that that would have happened. I probably would not have believed you because I didn't even think it could have. I also like equate it back to there's a book that I really like that was written by a woman called Annie Grace and it's called The Snake in Mind. It's about drinking. But what I really liked about it is you don't have to have like the rock bottom moment to stop. Like everybody thinks you have to get a DUI or you have to be a homeless person under a bridge drinking booze out of a bottle to have a problem with alcohol. And that never happened. Like I, I was a fully functioning alcoholic like i got promoted had a great career like you wouldn't nobody ever my wife didn't even know she when i told her that i was like had a serious drinking problem she was like what do you mean so but i did i was really good at hiding it but that's a long-winded way to say like if something is no longer serving you and you start to have those feelings regardless of if you've reached a bottom or not you your brain is probably trying to tell you something i think or if it's causing more harm than good, sometimes we have to weigh it out. Some I would say for a long time, I knew Kratom was harming me, but I was like, well, you know, that's the price I'm paying for it. But then eventually, it wasn't worth it anymore. Yeah, so I hope we can reach people who may not have the same consequences that some of our guests have reached, but they can come to maybe the same conclusion that Kratom isn't for them. You know, it's not, even if you're not spending a lot of money or it, the side effects are mild, you know, maybe daily use isn't for you. When it comes to complete abstinence, I always like to say, and I just want to repeat, nobody is responsible for your inventory but you. Nobody gets to tell you if you're clean or sober, and don't let anybody keep you from meetings if you want to be there. Yeah, Definitely. All right. It's time for our interview with Sadie. to welcome Sadie to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm pretty grateful that we haven't had the typical Minnesota winter. I've been enjoying the weather that we've been having lately. Nice and warm. Yes, it's been atypically warm. Maybe not so atypically. Maybe this is the new normal. With I'll take um, it. <laughs> please tell us about yourself. Well, I am from Minnesota. I... <laughs> I hate this. Sorry. I'm like, always like, tell me about yourself. I'm like, what do I want to say? Yeah. Just turned 30 this year, which was a big birthday to celebrate. That was great. And I have finally found some free time to start to get back into fitness, doing obstacle course racing, love reading, writing, and, you know, just pretty basic things. <laughs> How long have you been off Kratom? So my two months is coming up on December 17th. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a big accomplishment after the tumultuous relationship I had with it. So yeah, when did that start off? How do you, what was your introduction to Kratom? So I actually heard it on two separate podcasts and I feel like this is a very common theme listening to your podcast. It was from the Skinny Confidential 
him and her show and Ben Greenfield's podcast as well. So, you know, they both touched on how it was great product to use, helps with focus and you feel euphoric. (laughs) And when you first started using it, what did that look like? So it's interesting in the beginning because I ordered the subscription to it. So it was delivered to me every month and it was 12 bottles of product. And so when I would run out the first initial months, I'm like, whatever, you know, I'll just wait until next month's shipment comes and it's not going to be a big deal. Well, you know, half a bottle is one serving and I found myself needing more than one. And then it kind of started this, you know, snowball effect of wanting more and more. And eventually I found that they had a store locator on their website and I found it was sold locally in many stores and I was not aware of that. So I found myself saying, well, I don't need the subscription. I'll just buy it locally. So it turned into a very easy thing for me to purchase and not have to worry about waiting anymore. And how soon did it turn into like a daily thing? I would say for me, it probably took a couple months, which I think is very different than a lot of people that discuss the addiction. It took me some time for it to be a habit. Honestly, the initial time I tried it, I didn't really like it. It gave me a lot of anxiety. But then I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's just a first time thing. I'll just try it again. And the second time I'm like, oh, okay, I can see why people like this. And, you know, it wasn't something that I felt was needed every day, but it it definitely turned into that after a couple months. And when you first used it, was it like, oh, I'm going to go out tonight with my friends? Or was it like a mid-afternoon thing? I, I need to buckle down at work or something different? It was mainly to help me with work. So I started a new job, actually probably right around the time that I started getting addicted to it. And I worked from home. So, you know, if you've never worked from home in the beginning, it's really difficult to be able to shut down or get motivated to work because it's kind of all in the same area in your house. So I'm like, well, maybe if I just use this focus drink and then, you know, make a little list of things to do, it'll be better. And and maybe in the beginning it was, but that quickly turned to becoming engulfed with just sitting around and being on my phone. So it ended up losing the focus aspect that they so greatly tote about, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, many of us have that initial productivity spike, but then it ends up being numbing and some... Mm -hmm. uh, doing phone scrolling and very unproductive. Do you have a history of issues with addiction to other substances? Well, for the longest time, I always told myself that I didn't have an issue with alcohol because it wasn't the same way that you see it portrayed in the media. I feel like in the media, they make it seem like when you have an alcohol problem is you need it all day, every day, all of the time. And I don't think they really touch on When you go out, if you can't just have one, if you can't just have two, or if you get blacked out, you know, there's a lot of other signs that can point to an alcohol addiction. And so I've had a very long and lengthy history with alcohol, starting getting a minor when I was, I think, 13 or 14. You know, it was just a big party town. I lived in a small town, so all everybody did was drink in cornfields. And so, you know, over time that progressed when I was able to drink legally. It was going out, spending a lot of money, getting drunk a lot. And when I heard about this product, I was like, well, maybe I can slow down on my drinking, not be hungover and get a better you know, view at life and get back on track. And 
that's not what happened. <laughs> but yes, alcohol what? problems have been something I've dealt with for quite a few years. Okay. And when did you first, and you're, you're you were using the popular Kava Kratom product. Right. Um, when, when did you first use that? So I first used that, it was February of 2022. I actually logged back in to find when I got my first order. So it's almost two years. I almost was using for a full two years. Okay. And during those two years, have you been drinking alcohol? So actually, yes and no. I had started to convince myself that if I was going to drink alcohol, I wouldn't get the same feel-good effects if I used that product the following day. So it actually was like, okay, you know, what am I going to pick? Which of the two addictions is going to be, quote-unquote, better for me, if you will? And I did occasionally still drink with it. And as times progressed, I don't find that I like alcohol like I used to anymore. But I found myself reaching for this every day because it just made me feel a way that nothing else had and not a in not a positive way, might I add. <laughs> and so when did the Kratom use this product kind of escalate? And what were some of the things that you started having problems with it in your life? So Actually, it's funny that you ask that because I remember I would bring it to the restaurant that I work part time. You know, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll do a half a serving in the morning and then I'll do a half a serving before work and it'll be perfect. It'll help me talk with people better. And I remember bringing it in the office and my manager at the time was like, oh, this has Kratom in it. That's super addictive. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of that. Um, I said, I, and actually, I didn't even know what Kratom was. Truthfully, I went into this having no knowledge of any of the ingredients that were in it. And so after he said that, I kind of was like, well, wait, am I addicted to it? Because I find myself wanting this every day. And when I don't have any, I'm irritated. So it was kind of at that point, you know, probably like four or five months in that I was starting to realize that this was something I was needing every day and it was going to be a problem. And what happened to finally get you to a place where you decided you wanted to quit? You know, so, you know, I just quit almost two months ago. And prior to that, I was so convinced that nothing bad was going to happen to me using it. And that's when I stumbled on the Reddit thread after somebody mentioned it in a Facebook comment, actually, on one of their advertisements. And I started to read about it and I said, oh, my God, this this is scary. You know, all of the things that were happening to people, people coming forward with their stories. And it it was really eye opening. I said, OK, so something serious could happen to me. And I won't lie, a couple months after I found that, I neglected to even acknowledge the fact that I read those things. I kind of buried it down. I'm like, mm, nothing's going to happen. And so eventually, I started dating who I'm currently dating, my boyfriend. And he's had addiction problems in the past. And I finally brought it up to him. I said, hey, I think I have a problem with these things. Because when I would visit him in the state that he lived in prior to moving out here with me, when he would go to work, I would literally walk like two miles to the nearest gas station that sold it just to get some if I didn't have enough with me on my trip. And I told him I said, I have a problem. And he was like, okay, I've never heard of this before, but you know, what can I do? And I think telling somebody is what really 
helped me move past it because I didn't feel like I was only letting myself down when I was using. It was somebody that I loved and cared about that I was also letting down, you know, and they were starting to see the downfall, the side effects of it. Yeah, I've spoken to several guests and just people online, and that was, that often is a big turning point when, because especially it's such a secret addiction, and it starts off maybe secret to yourself, especially if you don't know what kratom is. Yeah, when you finally say it out loud to somebody in your in your life, real life, it's really a major uh, turning point. Were you able to quit the first time that you tried? So no. I think I'm trying to remember exactly when I told him. I want to say I told him probably around March, April, sometime earlier in 2023 was when I told him. Truthfully, I think in the beginning, I don't think he really took it as seriously because it was such a readily available product. I told him, I'm like, well, I'm not ready to quit yet. And he's like, well, you'll quit when you're ready. And then eventually, you know, a couple months ago, I really broke down and I said, no, this is a big problem. I'm taking three of these a day and I'm spending a lot of money. You know, not only was it wreaking havoc on me as a person physically, it was also financially ruining me. So that's when he really took me seriously when I really like hit it home that this is a big problem and I'm finding out all these other things. And so I don't think I ever really fully tried to quit the first couple of times I brought it up to him. But this last time, you know, almost two months ago, I quit and I have not relapsed and I I just don't plan on it. I mean, nobody ever plans on relapsing, let's be honest, but I just don't want to go through what I went through with the withdrawals ever again. <laughs> and did you taper or go cold turkey? What did you do? I I remember initially I was like, well, I can taper. I'm like, I'll just do, you know, I was using three a day. And I'm like, well, I can just go down to two. No, tapering did not work for me because I would just justify, well, one more is fine and we can just start tomorrow and tomorrow never came. And tapering just wasn't something that I could fully follow through with. I had to go cold turkey. I had the same experience. Once I had a little bit of kratom in me, then justify going back. Yep. And, and this would be a day after I like poured out a bunch of product and wasted a bunch of money. It's insane, you know. So how did how were your withdrawals? Uh, they were terrible for the first three or four days. Uh, cold sweats and really, really bad restless leg. Like I was sleeping maybe two to three hours a night. It was terrible. You know, and you're just lethargic too, very brain fogged. It just, you were bogged down for a good three to four days. You know, and I've seen some people that are taking you know, upwards of double digits of these a day and their withdrawals are lasting longer than that. I think I'm pretty grateful in the fact that I only ever got up to three bottles a day. But yeah, it was it was not great. And I would say it would probably take a, a couple weeks to feel mentally back to where I would have liked to have been. So it was hard. <laughs> While you were using, did you have any physical symptoms? I mean, with this product, sometimes people, their skin breaks out or there's issues or they have gastro problems. Did you any of that affect you? Gastro problems, for sure. Outside of that, I'm a fairly healthy person. I have a very clean diet. I'm on, you know, like animal-based supplements, creatine, things of that sort. So I feel like I take care of myself pretty well. And I'm pretty fortunate to have not experienced a lot of the things that people did while using it, but gastrointestinal was definitely 
a big thing. You know, it was bloating and, you know, constipation or the other way around, you know, it was, it was not a great experience. And if I ever took too much too quickly, I would throw up. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, it tastes terrible. (laughs) During your withdrawals, was there anything that helped that made you feel more comfortable, helped you sleep? I tried using ZQuil and actually consulted with a few people online regarding that. And they said that that sometimes can make it worse and didn't help me at all. I have heard of using, I don't know if I can say this, I've heard of using gabapentin um, to help with restless leg. And I never explored that route. I just felt like using pharmaceuticals probably wouldn't be the best situation getting out of addiction. But that's just my personal opinion. I know things like that can help people. Outside of that, I forced myself to go on long walks every day. I have a dog and, you know, I look at him and I can't put my life on pause because I, you know, I'm going through something that I inflicted on myself. I still have to take care of him. So I kind of reworked my morning routine. Normally I would get up, work out, walk my dog. And instead of going to the gym the first week, I wanted to give my body that time to kind of recuperate. So I just said, let's walk. So I would go on like a two and a half mile walk in the morning, take it slow, just listen to podcasts, you know, enjoy the weather and not really push myself too hard. But I will say being outside, getting fresh air and moving your body, very helpful. And hot Epsom salt baths. Those were wonderful. Just soaking in as hot of water as you possibly could with that salt to kind of help extract, you know, whatever was left over was a really great decision. Sunshine and baths and walks. I, that's a good prescription. Oh, I also, with- yeah, I forgot to mention the sauna too. If you have access to a sauna, that's a really great option as well. It was very relaxing being in there. And I have heard people use cold plunges or cold showers too. I didn't try that, but I, I have incorporated those into my daily routine moving forward. And they are very helpful. You know, the cold shower shocks your system and it can make all other decisions or difficult situations in the day a little less hard once you face something like that in the beginning of the day. So that could be helpful too. What are some of the support systems that you have in place to prevent relapse? So currently, the only people that know about this addiction are is my boyfriend and then three of my, actually four of my closest friends. So some of the support systems are my boyfriend and then four of my closest friends. I can always reach out to them if I'm feeling a certain way. You know, I live with my boyfriend, so he's very readily available, if you will, if I need to discuss anything. I also really enjoy communicating with people on Reddit. I think it's a great tool to have, you know, people that understand what you're going through. And a couple people from the Reddit group and I actually have a WhatsApp group. And so we talk to each other daily. And I think that that's really helpful. You know, it's just that and being self-aware, you know, if you feel like you're slipping to be able to, you know, know it in yourself to reach out or do something on your own to help prevent getting to that point of relapse. Great. Do you have a tracker with your money saved? Actually, let me check. So actually, yes, I do have a tracker. I use I am sober to keep track of my days and then also the financial aspect of it. 
And I had money spent per day, which was $28.98. And I believe that that was for actually only two bottles. Three, I believe, was more than that or close to. But year to date, or I should say, you know, sobriety to date, I've saved just shy of $1,500. And projected yearly savings is about $10,600. Just on the money alone, it's mm-hmm. it's worth quitting. But how about the other areas of your life? Mental health, your job, your overwhelmed, your being, your relationships. How is it going now? Everything has improved. It's a vast difference from using. Um, I think when you're using, you really ignore a lot of things that are going on in your life because that's your main focus is using the product, getting the next dose. And just your life is kind of circled around that. And now that I am not using anymore, the big thing, yes, financially, I mean, that is an insane amount of money to be spending every day. And it doesn't matter if you don't have it, you'll find a way to get that money. And it just creates even more problems. So financially getting back on track and my relationships, I've been able to look at them through a clearer lens. And I feel like they've flourished and have gotten stronger since I've stopped using. Um, I'm no longer excusing things in my life that don't align with me. I'm able to address them and decide if I want to, you know, keep that person in my life or, you know, have a discussion about something. As far as physical health and mental health, things have become so much clearer. I feel much happier. I my motivation is slowly coming back. I will say that's something that's still hard because when you're using, you know, you find excuses, and I know we'll touch on that later. It can be hard to to make yourself do things you might not want to do, like go to the gym. But I've found myself becoming addicted in a healthy way to getting to the gym, having that morning routine. You know, I've been lifting five days a week. I'm training for a half marathon next year. Um, I'm just doing things that I never would have done while I was using it because my body, A, wouldn't have let me, B, Financially, I wouldn't have been able to go anywhere for these races. And, you know, it wouldn't have been fun because I would have been so focused on finding where I could purchase that product wherever I ended up. So life overall is just a thousand times better than I ever could have imagined. That's exciting. Yeah. In the opening of this episode, we talked about that. We got an email from somebody that talked about, she described herself as like a gray area Kratom user. You know, mm-hmm. and she's been listening to our stories and her use isn't like full bottom, you know, destroyed their life kind of thing. Like some some of and I think you're sort of in that area, too. I mean, I'm sure if you used it for another year, things mm-hmm. would have got way worse and, and you would have yep. way more broke. Kratom, just like alcohol use, you can quit before things get really bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually pretty grateful because I do see a lot of people, you know, that are using, like I said, multiple double digits, like 12 a day. You know, my three was only 30 bucks or something a day. I can't imagine where you would be at physically, mentally, emotionally, financially using that much in a day. But I can get I get it. I mean, I can get where people can get to that point for sure. Yes. And full empathy here for everybody Mm -hmm. here at the podcast. But we also want to be for people who are using a small amount too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people find using a small amount as not a problem until it's too late. And that's where I was. 
you know, I kept thinking mm-hmm. that one, two, three wasn't anything when in all reality, it actually was quite detrimental to many aspects of my life. So speaking of the subreddit, I recently saw that you did a post there and I'm going to ask a couple questions riffing off. It was kind of like a summary of your experience today, mm-hmm. you know, up to two, you know, get, as you look forward to two months. So the first one was about excuse making. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, excuse making. I did that a lot when I was using, you know, I would justify being able to use it and find any excuse to have to go to the store to purchase more. And that created a really unhealthy habit. You know, finding excuses for almost two years of my life has followed me after sobriety. You know, I make excuses. Oh, I could just sleep in a little bit more today. And so it's been really difficult, but you really have to focus on rewiring yourself and your brain to realize that you don't have to make excuses for something that might make you uncomfortable, like being sober or going to the gym or doing something hard. You know, if you continue to make excuses, you're not going to grow. You'll be stagnant. And I don't think anybody benefits from that. But, you know, it can be harsh for people to hear, like, stop making excuses because it's really hard in the moment to do that. You know, I did it for so long, but it is possible. And once you kind of look at that harsh truth, you can, you know, start making the moves to become sober or whatever you're facing, you know, at that time. This is ubiquitous in the quitting Kratom world. The hunt for the perfect mix of supplements. (laughs) Yeah, I also brought that up in my post. So, yeah, trying to hunt for... (laughs) supplement or something that is similar to it is something that I found myself doing in like the month or so after I quit. And, you know, there's so many supplements on the market, nothing is really regulated. And I was so determined and dead set on the fact that I would find something that would make me feel like that product. And I didn't. And nobody will. There's not going to be anything that's going to make you feel that way. That's going to be healthy, you know, because that product itself is not healthy for you, no matter how it's marketed. Unfortunately, it's it's going to have a not so great ending. So, you know, instead of hunting for a supplement, I've hunted for healthy habits like, you know, the runner's high from training or weightlifting, being proud of myself and, you know, focusing on other healthy aspects of life that can give you, you know, the euphoric feeling of, yeah, I did that. You know, I'm proud of myself. And you just have to look for something else that's healthy. This is sort of related because you you were on the Kava Kratom product using Kratom itself either to wean off or to shift. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, as somebody that's never used Kratom prior to this product, I don't have the full experience of using it, I guess, by itself. But for me personally, I think it's very similar to you know, why I started using this in the first place was trading one addiction for another. And that was trading alcohol for this product. And I feel like a lot of people that are using Kratom by itself to get off of this product are doing the same thing. You're trading one unhealthy thing for another, you know, in turn, you're creating another addiction to something very similar to what you were using. So I don't think that there's any benefit. You got to white knuckle it and just get through those withdrawals and see what your life can be on the other side of that. I think for me, the biggest thing about it was that I felt like it was okay to use, you know, and I mentioned that and then it and you know, when I realized that it wasn't okay, it was far too late at that point, you know, I was already in the depths of addiction. What are your favorite music selections in terms of tunes? I am that person that will listen to everything except country. 
<laughs> Sorry to all the country lovers out there. I just can't get behind it. I really am big into electronic music. I think it's something that really motivates me while I'm lifting and running. And if you're an EDM fan, the Bloody Beat Roots, they are great. They have a rock electric album that I think is wonderful. It's like the electronic swindle, I think. And they really, you know, make me vibe and have a good time when I'm listening to them. So I recommend anybody check them out. Yeah, it's the Bloody Beat Roots. What is your top tip for someone getting ready to quit Kratom? Tell somebody. Tell somebody that you trust in your real life, in person. Online is great, but you don't see them every day. So I feel like you can justify using when you don't see them face to face. So I think telling somebody that you love and that you trust and that will help you stay accountable will be the best thing that's going to get you to quit and become sober from it. I know that the resistance to do that is really hard because I was quitting um, online through the subreddit and it was when we met a group of us on Thursday night. Uh, it was online, so it wasn't real world. At least I started to look people in the eyeballs and we're the same experience. There's a, just a difference between just using an app and talking to real humans, you know, and I will have to admit it was couple of months after creating this podcast then that I actually told somebody in my real world in my everyday life about Kratom though and, and then all those people I had to go and explain at length of what Kratom was. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah absolutely um, I think it's something because a lot of people don't even know what it is they don't know that you can get addicted to it so I think that you when you make the decision to tell somebody you're probably going to have to explain it and they might not understand it but as long as you are being honest with them and if they're supportive it should be a really good thing for you to have somebody in your life that can be there for you you got addicted to a product that's sort of well known post facto mm -hmm. that people often start taking it and not even know that it's a kratom product what are your thoughts feelings reaction to you know having that experience honestly when it comes to that I feel like a lot of people tend to point the finger at the influencers that are discussing it and the podcasts that have it on there. But I think originally when I first heard about it, the people that were talking about it, well, minus Ben Greenfield, had no knowledge of the issues that this product was having and the addiction that it was, you know, creating in people. So I think that pointing the finger at somebody else for an addiction isn't really the right thing to do. You know, I mean, you decided to take it and you can't blame somebody else for marketing it when they probably themselves didn't know that it was an issue, you know, and I, I think that a lot of people might be upset hearing that, but I had to look at it that way too. You know, I can't blame somebody for talking about it and probably like everybody else that's been having issues with it didn't know that that was a problem. Yeah, and mm -hmm. self-responsibility, personal accountability, and you're the only one that's going to be able to help you abstain. You might feel a little betrayed at the beginning, yeah, but you got to get over that quickly. My personal belief, I think the product itself is deceptively marketed. For and sure. I don't think it should yeah. be advertised in the wellness space. Yep. But in the end, mm -hmm. and we have to exercise autonomy <laughs> you yeah, know no so. i agree with the marketing it's terrible as it is a healthy alternative to drinking is what got me and it should not be marketed like that because it does create one addiction for another for sure
for a certain number of us. I guess that's what the debate is about, you know. I've heard the founder discuss that the reason he's so passionate about it is because he talks about how many people thank him for it, you know, to how much that's true and to what extent is it justifying for selling the product? You know, that's his business. But Mm. I mean, um, for him to mention the fact that it took him many years to create something to make him feel the way he wanted to as an ex-alcoholic is a red flag in and of itself, for sure. Yes. Is there an answer to a question I didn't ask that you would like to share with the audience? I don't think any amount of this product is an okay thing to use because in the beginning you're taking half and then next thing you know you have a tolerance, then you're taking one, then you have a tolerance and then it builds a snowball. And I think that people believe that they can use it in small doses and I don't think it's possible. I think it will become an addiction and you won't realize it until it's too late like I did. You know, starting using one and then, you know, building up to three and knowing that it can get past that. I don't think it's a good idea to even attempt to take any amount of it because it will just end in a in a negative way. <laughs> well, that ties things up in a bow because in the opening we talked about the need for total abstinence and with this podcast if you're listening to it, you're probably likely addicted to kratom. And 100% abstinence from Kratom products is probably the only way to go. There's no, once you cross a certain line, there's no way to moderate. And I think that's a great way to end. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to being able to share my story in hopes of connecting with people and making them feel less alone and knowing that it's possible to get over the addiction. There's no way over it. You can only go through. So just know that it's going to be hard for a little bit, but on the other side of it, it is a great life. And we'll end with that. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me on the show again today. This will be a segment of Kratom in the Headlines with a special focus on 7-OHM. We're going to be talking about 7-Hydroxymetragenin, also known as 7-OHM, that is being found now in isolated forms and products and what that might mean to the average consumer. We should take a moment and focus on this specific issue because it was only a matter of time before manufacturers decided that isolating specific metabolites of the components of this plant would be a capitalistic venture they were willing to take on. We'll talk about metragenin being the most abundant chemical found in the kratom leaf. makes up about 60% of the alkaloid content that's found in kratom. And that's not really where we're going to be focusing. However, metragenin is the parent compound of this substance that we're starting to see and in, in nature, small, tiny fractions of metragenine, it's broken down by oxidative means through sunlight, through heat, and it actually will appear in small amounts in standard kratom leaf product. But 7-hydroxymetragenine, if you're familiar with the Kratom Consumer Protection Act, is normally stated to be a specific percentage of alkaloid content in these products. So. After we're talking about 7-hydroxymetragenine, is seen in nature. However, it also is created in the body. 7-hydroxymetragenine is created from metragenine 
through the SIP processing of the liver. It's called SIP3A4. And we, we convert a small amount into 7-hydroxymetragenine through the liver, through our biological processes naturally. And they think that might have an effect on the antinociceptive or pain-relieving portion of kratom because it doesn't seem that mitragenine has all that much affinity to these mu opioid receptors. However, 7-hydroxymetragenine certainly does. There have been several researchers that said if you took it in isolation, it would be more like morphine and a full agonist than it would be like partial agonist that had a ceiling effect. So we're dealing with a new but not new substance here. We'll talk about the product that I'm focusing on. I'm not going to go by name specifically because I wouldn't want to get Charlie in trouble here. There is a product circulating the internet that is a pill product that is generally either single pill or three pills or two pills in a package, but the pills themselves are two servings and the pills have 14 milligrams of 7-hydroxymetragenine. So we have to assume that there's, this is 7-hydroxymetragenine in these products. But what they're doing is they're skirting the limits of this 2%. They are interpreting it as in 2% of the product weight. So they're saying, oh, we can have 2% 7-hydroxymetragenine of product weight. When most of these KCPAs speak of the amount of 7-hydroxymetragenine in amounts in relation to the alkaloid weight. So say you had 100 milligrams of total alkaloids in the product, only 2% of that could be 7-hydroxymetragenine. Here we have 2% of the total weight of a 700 milligram pill being 7-hydroxymetragenine. But that's too Remember, that's two doses. They literally say on the package, the pill is two doses, which blows my mind. It's just, okay, we're really getting too close to this line of the legal definition of dose here. The product is being advertised on the internet. The creators are very active on platforms. It does not seem that this would be a, a very professional outfit. Generally, when we see these high dollar, high, like extremely professional crooks for that matter, go about these ways. We don't see them defending themselves under their own company names on platforms. That's just not something we see them do. So these people, I believe, are new to the scene. They've created a product that is arguably, I'm sure you could, I don't, I'm not going to be doing any testing myself, but I'm sure that you'll find is far more addictive than anything we've had before on the market. We're talking about something that 10, 10 15 times the strength of metragenine in terms of its affinity at that mu opioid receptor, which is pretty important for these metabolites. But essentially, we're now going on and creating new compounds. Even though they exist in kratom, they don't technically exist in metragenine until it's run through our bodies and oxidized through our systems, specifically CYP3A4. But it's a concern because this is what's going to cause issues. This is what causes the addiction. I believe that even through the powder consumption, you have people with varying metabolic ability at CYP3 or 4. Therefore, you're going to see a varying ability for them to process metragenine into this hyper opioid 7-hydroxymetragenine. Even this variability in parent addictiveness of the plant itself could mediate it through this or other means. I'm not saying it's the only one. That That's certainly not in any way proven. It's just that's where science is leaning at the moment in terms of where this extra little 
anti-nociceptive or pain-relieving kick comes from metragine itself. It does not have a high affinity at the human mu opioid receptor. I think we should be not, not necessarily worried, but mindful of their skirting of the laws of the Kratom Consumer Protection Acts. And you know, this is what they were talking about when they're saying we want protection from rogue sellers and someone looking just to take advantage of, of someone vulnerable. Because these pills are like, they're like $12 a piece. And we're talking about street drug pricing on some of this stuff. So yes, I would highly caution against any current Kratom consumer looking at these thinking, oh, this will be an easy way to taper myself down from my current regimen. That could be the absolute opposite. You end up going back to your regular routine thinking, okay, I'll give these a rest and it does nothing. Your regular Kratom does nothing. This stuff is very powerful. It is something that should be behind the counter of a pharmacy and not available through an online website that's talking about how great it is and how, how it can remove your pain and calm you down when it's just, this is just as bad as the Sacklers, except they're just individuals that are working from individual labs that don't have that great of a PR department. So... I would keep my eye open for these things. And if it says 7-O-H-M on the product, I would turn away from it. So uh, thanks again for letting me be on the show. And this has been a special edition of the Kratom in the Headlines. Hello, quitters, and welcome to this week's resource of the week. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about naltroxin, specifically Vivitrol. Naltroxin is a drug that binds and blocks opioid receptors, and therefore it reduces opioid cravings, so it can help prevent relapse. Um, it also works the same way with alcohol receptors. Uh, so a lot of people are using naltroxin and Vivitrol in their Kratom recovery path. So in order to get started on the medication naltroxin, it is a little easier to obtain than Vivitrol because a lot of doctors can prescribe naltroxin, whereas there's only certain doctors that are certified to prescribe Vivitrol. So the best thing to do if you would like to get started on the daily dose naltroxin is to speak with your um, your medical health provider and go from there. Vivitrol, on the other hand, is very specific. You are going to want to visit the Vivitrol website where they have a provider locator. That website is www.vivitrol.com forward slash opioid dash dependence forward slash find dash a dash provider. Charlie will also link this website in the resources for this week. So what you'll do is you'll visit this web page and you're going to enter your zip code and you're going to be able to locate a provider in your area that can provide this medication. Now, keep in mind that the smaller cities you may not have a provider or you may have to travel. Um, each provider is also going to have different requirements. Some providers and administrators of this medication will require you to attend some therapy or um, recovery sessions. 
Um, you may also have to pass drug tests. Um, every provider is going to have different requirements for you to meet in order to be prescribed Vivitrol. So Vivitrol is the shot version of naltroxin. You're only going to need to receive that shot once a month. There are a few side effects. I will say that if you contact Vivitrol, you can reach them at 1-800-VIVITROL. That's 1-800-848-4876. They were amazing at helping me not only to find providers in my area, but also to assist me with getting approved through my insurance. Vivitrol also has a copay program. They were able to get me approved for that for up to five years so that I was actually not even paying anything out of pocket for my Vivitrol shot. So if you have any questions and are interested being prescribed Vivitrol, please reach out to Vivitrol, like I said, at 1-800-Vivitrol. And again, Charlie will link these resources below. For me, Vivitrol was very successful. It did allow me some time to focus on my recovery without having to deal with cravings. I do highly recommend Vivitrol if it is something that you're interested in. There's a lot of information on the website. So again, check out those resources below. And until next time, keep it Kratom free.